You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Payments Innovation Podcast. This is your host, Chris D'Antuano with Currency Cloud. And today, I'm happy to have David True, founder and partner of Pageility. David, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm delighted to be here and delighted to be uh, talking with you guys at Currency Cloud. Yeah, it's, it's really good to have you on and timely of um, you know, what's happening with multiple different areas of uh, the payments industry. But before we get into that, let's, uh, let's give our listeners a background about yourself and uh, you know, what brought you on to, to found uh, Pageility and what you're doing over there. I've been in payments for a long time, probably over well, actually actually over 30 years. Um, and I've worked at big companies and uh, in the last 10 years, more smaller companies. I worked at American Express, worked at MasterCard, and I worked at Bank of America Merchant Services, which means I kind of know the issuing side, the network side, and I kind of know the merchant acquiring side. And after I left there, after I left BAMS, I started thinking, what can I do on my own? I did two things. One, I connected a bunch of people who were meeting over drinks in the back room of a restaurant to talk about payments. And that became something called NIPAY. Now, NIPAY is a 501c6. Don't make a penny off it, but I have a lot of fun. And we do events uh, about once a month. We just did one a couple of days ago on um, uh, Buy Now, Pay Later. We're doing one on the future of loyalty. So check out NIPAY.org. And you can go up on our YouTube channel and uh, NIPAY YouTube and see events there. How I actually make my money? I got a firm with uh, seven other payments professionals called Pagility. And it's agility in payments. Sometimes people say pay, pay guilty. And we say, no, we're not guilty. It's agility. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I keep thinking I should have tested the brand better before we named it. Um, but Pagility is all over the place in payments. We do everything from, we love to help countries enter the U.S., foreign com- companies coming in because the U.S. market is a very complex one, as we know. Uh, we've done due diligence for uh, a SPAC. Six years ago, I didn't know what a SPAC was. Five years ago, four years ago, I got a contract with one. And to tell you something very funny, this is a fintech SPAC. And at the end of the gig, they paid us with a paper check. So go figure. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. why paper checks will be around for a long time. Yep, yep. Um, we touch a lot of things in the payment space. We're doing some work on cross-border remittances right now. So just look up pagility.com and you'll see some of the things that is how I earn my keep. So that's a little bit about where I'm at. And as you can tell, if I've been in this for 30 years, I really love the payment space. And I'm fortunate that I fell into an area that, this doesn't get, it doesn't go away. Anytime there's commerce, there has to be a payment. And commerce doesn't go away. Commerce is really one way that human beings communicate. So it's in a growing space and a space where a lot's happening right now, which is why it is fun to be here. It is. And, and you know, it's before I forget, I do want to give you, you props. And we talked before um, starting the recording, but just definitely go to NIPAY. Uh, we, we, we love it over here at Currency Cloud. We sponsored it for a few years. We made a lot of uh, of our customers came came at um, going to NIPAY events, you know, in person at the time, and hopefully we'll get back to that at some point soon. But you guys are doing a hell of a job over there with um, you know the virtual stuff. And well, thank you very much. It's I love doing it. So yeah, and um, you know, as as we dive into it here with, with with the payments, I'd love to 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 get your perspective on um, let's before we get into I guess the lending technology space, which um, you know the focus will probably be on today. I just want to get your thoughts on where you guys provide. I know for Pagility, there's a lot of areas of expertise that you can provide, but I'm really interested to understand where, the, where is the knowledge gap, I guess, entering the U.S. Uh, for some of these companies. I mean, we, we deal with it pretty much every day. Um, and it, obviously, the U.S. in regulatory aspect is a completely different beast than a lot of other areas. 
in, in, in the world, but where is the knowledge gap really uh, that you guys tend to provide more value, most value to for, for companies coming in? Or is it, is it pretty much broad a, a, across the spectrum? Well, the knowledge gap is simply underest- underestimating the complexity. The U.S., for various historical reasons, we've always had a tension between what's done locally at a state level and what's done at a national level. The number of regulators we have involved. It's hard to get away from the regulatory part of it when you think about the complexity of the U.S. And just the fact that it's so large, the preferences differ by region and state. And we have 11,000 financial institutions somewhere thereabout. I mean, it's everyone talks every year about consolidation. But there, if you add credit unions and banks, there's still 10 to 11,000. So it's really complicated. Mm-hmm. So if you're coming into the country, first, you got to realize, OK, how do you set yourself up so you are cognizant of the money transmitter license, MTLs. That's a real complicated thing. In the EU, you get one money transmitter license, one e-money license, and you cover for the whole, the whole EU. Right. Whereas here, 49 out of 50 states have requirements one has to meet. Then you got to figure out if you're not coming in whole hog, what banks do you work with? If, 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 because even the neobanks, virtually none of them in the US have licenses of their own. Only Varo, as far as I know, has a license. So who do you work with? We have a given that Pagility and my colleagues all have at least 25 years in the space, and particularly me, I know the fintech side probably the best. Um, we know the banks, we know who are the folks who are working with the different fintechs because that is a big movement that's going on these days. Is you have some new banks of startup, Celtic Bank, and there's a couple that have spun off from Celtic, uh, one Hatch, Hatch, I think it is, spun off yep. from Celtic, yep. and then there's bigger banks or not bigger. But older banks that have said, "Okay, we're going to make a specialty as our bank at supporting fintech companies. And that's a knowledge base that you don't just stumble into. And fortunately, we have a network in that so we can help firms figuring out who to work with. I just did a small project trying to help someone find a correspondent bank in the U.S. They're not here physically yet, but they needed a correspondent bank. And that in itself was complicated because if you're a fintech outside of the U.S., you have to go through all the 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 compliance and the all that discovery you need to do to be compliant with them, it was amazingly complicated. I actually underpriced the deal because I didn't realize how long it would take to do all the compliance, <laughs> all the compliance requirements. So those are some of the things we help when, because mo- most firms at some point say, if they're not in the U.S., if they don't start in the U.S., they say, we got to go to the U.S. And it's really hard if you're not here to realize how different it is from starting in Singapore or certainly starting in the EU. Yeah, yeah, totally. And we went through that process maybe four or five years ago, and we selected the Community Federal Savings Bank, uh, and then they power a lot of these. Uh, that, that's the one I just worked with this other client. And, yeah. and you can remember, if you were there, then you remember all that you had to provide them to meet the compliance requirements. It was a lot of paperwork. It's a lot. Yeah. And I think um, they, they found a nice little niche uh, that they you know, support the, that, that side of their business, in addition to some corporate business that they do. Um, I do want to dive into that a little bit. So you, you see some of these sponsor banks that are actually focusing in on specific industries. And I guess that'll lead us into this next uh, topic in lending. But you see Cross River really focuses in on these lending uh, types of uh, sponsorships that they do. Um, can you talk a little bit about you know, the, the, those specific areas that these sponsor banks are providing um, in that, their expertise and, and I guess why they position themselves into those different segments? 
Well, I can't tell you exactly the individual what banks I haven't been in their heads when they started doing it, but yeah. a lot of it comes down to where they think their expertise is and where their risk profile is. Now, um, uh, Cross River is an interesting example because they are one of the new ones who set themselves up just for this purpose, rather than someone like Community Federal Savings Bank, who said, we've been around for, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years. They've been around for a while. And they said, okay, we will start providing one aspect. We will have one division that starts doing something for these smaller organizations. Well, what is it that they're doing for you? Are they your sponsor bank here? Yeah, they are the, they're, they're basically our operation to, to collect the funds in and sponsor the, the end client. Yep. Which is pretty much what they're doing for this client I just work for. So that's a different than if you have balance sheet and you want to lend on the balance sheet and push that out. Right. That goes into a little bit of the, uh, what we'll be talking about a bit in the lend tech and all things going on in lending. So how do they decide? I think it's, you know, my guess, if you know organizations, there's probably someone in the bank who pitches. If it's not a bank that was built simply to, to work with fintechs, and there's a good handle of the, a handful of those, but if it's not one of those, I'm sure it's somebody who says, oh, we got space in our balance sheet. Let's figure out what we can do with it. You know, Joel, do you want to go figure this one out? And then you start making a name for yourself because the need is there. Yeah. The need is really there. There's so many you know, you come up with a, you get some guys who write good code and they know all this part of it and they can build beautiful APIs. And then they're like, well, wait a minute, how do we make this live? And very few people want to take it on internally. Uh, I've heard a couple of people joke and say, now that Varo is their own bank, did they really realize what they were getting into by becoming a bank? Because mm -hmm. the burden of, uh, I, I mean, regulation is necessary. I don't want to say regulation, you shouldn't have it because those are guardrails we need. You can see Facebook out there with advertising these days saying, please regulate us. Have you seen those ads yeah. <laughs> out there? So, so you do need regulation, but it does take, it's, it's time. It's, it takes manpower. It takes people. And that actually is another side view of what's going on in, in technology these days of coming up with reg tech because coming up with ways to make that regulatory burden easier to manage. But we can go in many different directions here. So I'll, I'll kick it back to you now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, and I think a lot of these sponsor banks are actually taking that, you know, accepting the role that, that, that they're, they're going to get to the deposits that are just doing it to a third party, right? And that's the traditional prepaid world, how it's worked in the past. And now it's moving to more of like this deposit and maybe, you know, eventually credit as a service type of model where they're actually providing that infrastructure for other companies and, and programs to take and, advantage. And, and they might get pushed a little bit. We were talking prior to commencing this call or this, this, uh, this podcast about things going on in the interchange world. And the Clearinghouse recently did a filing in December or conversations with the Fed related to what's called the Durbin Amendment, which some of the people listening to this will know because it affected, it was the first time that uh, any of uh, the authorities had come in and capped or affected interchange rates. And what the Clearinghouse did was start arguing that an aspect of the Durbin Amendment, and I'm not going to get too geeky on this, but an aspect of the Durbin Amendment should be applied differently, that it was misinterpreted and applied the wrong way. And if that application changes, then it means that a lot of the deposits that fintechs now, that neobanks hold themselves, and they only pass it back to their sponsor bank when needed for the debit card transaction, that now they'll have to take that money and push it back to the sponsor bank. So that oh, gets really. really deep in the weeds, and it depends on whether the Federal Reserve accepts this argument that was made to them by the clearinghouse. But there's another example of where you have this complexity that lies beneath the surface that is touched by, it can be touched by business needs. It also can be touched by regulatory needs. And something as tiny as the interpretation of an amendment to a bill that was passed 
2010, something yeah. like that, could change the way the money could change where the money sit. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. And that changes obviously the direction of how they're going to be able to offer it to their clients and their, and eventually the end client and how they get charged uh, down, down the value chain. I do want to pivot into the, the, I guess, right off the back of your NIPE event that happened a few days ago and uh, the lending technology and the buy now, pay later, you know, it was a great event that uh, a few of our colleagues attended and a few of our clients as well are uh, attended as well. So I'd love to to just get your thoughts as of uh, you know today of this this as a surgence in um, in this buy now pay later to start in that side of uh, the technology and get your thoughts on that you know wh- where we're at today with it and you know, wh- where do you think uh, you know the evolution of that might might turn into well one th- one point I make a lot inevitably comes up if you're talking with me and if you've talked to me recently you'll say oh not that again but simplicity is something that is a governing principle to so much that's going on in, in whatever tech you want to talk about, whether it's Lend tech or whether it's FinTech, is taking things that were complicated and making them simple. And that's part of what's going on with all what is going on in the buy now, pay later. It's a combination of making the process simple, making it very easy to touch once and you get a particular result. And it's also addressing a behavioral change and a preference change, I should say. Now, I haven't directly done consumer research on it to say the answer. I'm sure somebody has, but I don't know how much of it's generational and how much of it is a reaction to the economics that we, the economic model of the U.S. that has been changing over the last two or three decades. But you've had a greater interest in debit products or knowing what you're spending, having greater control over it. Certainly, the numbers have grown. Exactly what demographic they've grown from, I could guess. I can't attest to that, but I'm guessing it's probably skews a little younger. And because of that, the the ability to say four payments this much that has a great appeal. And if you do it in one or two clicks, in one click, that has a tremendous appeal because Mm -hmm. it's easy and it's analogous to a debit card transaction, but spread over time because you know exactly what it's going to cost you. And, um, you know, it doesn't quite have the same certainty as debit card because you still have to fund it when it happens. But it goes to that same, it appeals to that same notion of saying, what am I getting into? You know, it's a debit card. You absolutely know you've got control because it's only what's in your account. And if it's buy now, pay later, you can actually see in front of you X number of payments, which is a different model than simply I'll put it on my card and check the balance out at the end of the month or, you know, so, so it's, it's a different way of managing one's debt. And uh, clearly it's resonated. You wouldn't have as many firms. And one thing that was interesting last night is we were on Wednesday. And if one wishes to watch the conversation, it's up on NIPE YouTube and you can see it. It was posted yesterday. Yeah, we'll be sure but, to share that. Yeah. As well. <clears throat> but, uh, but, you know, is this market getting saturated? And the general consensus was no, there's still, there's still room to grow in that. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, you know, stay tuned to this one. Yeah. There's a couple of things I want to touch on there. Um, the, it's super interesting. I don't know if you saw yesterday the announcement that um, um, uh, a firm came out with with Cross River that they actually released a buy now pay a card. debit card, which is super interesting that you could actually make every purchase or well, however many limits they have on it, but you can actually you know swipe a card and then do it. You know, decide if you want to do buy now pay later. Is that um, done on an app? Then you have the app that you decide what to do on. I believe so. Yeah, you can go into the purchase and then spread it out, but there's a limit to how many you can do per month, which is obviously protecting the. The, the consumer at the end of the day uh, to be able to protect that. But um, super interesting. That's another evolution. point. That's a great point because the, uh, the FCA in the UK is starting to look at buy now, pay later and say, 
Okay. You were going to bring that up anyway. So carry on. No, 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 no. Yeah, exactly. And then, so the evolution of that, and then you also had this week, um, Afterpay signed a, a partnership with Stripe. So now when you do the checkout at Stripe, you can offer Afterpay to, you know, at a mass amount, given how many clients that they have, um, you know, the adoption of this, um, you know, as and, 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 Sezzle, a, and Sezzle signed a deal a couple of weeks ago with Discover. Discover. Yeah, Discover's exactly. Um, so with, with all of that, right, obviously massive partnerships going in play, which at the end of the day will spread out to both merchants and consumers. Um, is there a threat to credit uh, at this point or the actual side to credit? Now, obviously there's room for both, right? But this is definitely going to be taking in some, some chunk in, in that market. I know you mentioned you know, the size of the purchase makes a big difference. Um, it could be a sweet spot for certain areas, but I'd love to get you know, your thoughts on the, uh, the threat well, to credit within this space. We, we had a guy, a friend of mine who actually runs the, the, the credit portfolio for a, a bank that actually just got acquired, talk about acquisitions. Um, and he didn't, well, two points, I suppose. Uh, Gali um, Heichel, I think she's her last name, uh, from, uh, from uh, Klarna was saying, no, you know, I work on partnerships with bank. I don't think banks should be nervous. But I do know as well that a year or so ago, I heard from just being in this business, one of the large issuers was concerned about that. Mm. So I have to believe, despite what people said in the call the other night, I have to believe that there's some overlap, if you think of a Venn diagram, of money that might have gone just on the revolving credit balance of a credit card, but is now being put on a buy now, pay later or something else. So it's, you don't have it in your DDA account, so you can't use a debit card. You could have put on the credit card, but you see this offer and you wouldn't be doing it for a really, really big purchase. Uh, some of the buy now, pay later guys probably have a limit to the size, uh, the size transaction. Do they, do you know? I believe so. Yeah. I, I, believe, I mean, yeah. generally I know it tends to be a smaller size transaction. They have something else that's called point of sale financing, which tends to be bigger ticket transactions. Um, but yeah, I, I got to believe the credit card that I know in this one case, one issuing bank was concerned enough that they were trying to study it and say, should they get into the business? And I can't imagine that it's not taking some incremental amount away. So should they be really afraid? Eh, there's two different markets, but I, I think a lot of the world is Venn diagram. There's some portion of that where there's an overlap where it could go either way. And, and if it does go to the buy now, pay later, then it's volume that is revolving balance that the credit card doesn't get. And do you, and we didn't touch on this, but, you know, interested to see if you have any thoughts on if this will transition into um, B2B, uh, you know, opportunities to offer, you know, B2B financing at checkout, um, you know, interested to get, if you've seen any interest in that space, I know there's a few companies, I think one of them is called Behalf. Uh, there's, there's, there's a few companies that are coming about that are starting to look at offering buy now, pay later or financing, point of sale financing at the, the time for the B2B transaction. Don't know if you've, you've, you've heard any um, uh, or seen any companies looking to, to enter that space. Well, it depends on the size of the company. If, if you know on the merchant side or the business side, the U.S. has lots of small businesses. And a small business is particularly a sole proprietorship. The behavior there is more similar to a consumer behavior than a big company behavior. Right. So if you have a large company with a finance department, I don't think there's going to be that much appeal because they can come up with other ways to finance. Right. But if you have smaller businesses, and you can see cards that are being pushed out for smaller businesses these days, there's two or three of them. I keep getting pitched for the, I forgot what it's called now. It's got some highfalutin name that's supposed to make me sound important. But um, if you have small businesses of that sort, sole proprietorships or two or three people running it, 
then the decision is going to be more like an individual's decision. Consequently, I think there is space for that to play. But and there's many, many of those companies. Each one's not that big, but in aggregate, there's a lot of dollars flowing through them. So yeah, yeah I think there's space, but but you get a little bit larger in a company with you know a controller or a CFO and a finance group. They're not they're not going to be interested. I don't believe. Yeah, that. yeah, it makes sense. And the advantage to the merchants, I mean, these conversion rates at checkout is just it's absolutely phenomenal what they're getting for these conversion rates. Uh, you know, on behalf of these these carts being converted and. Um, you know, we, we work with Sezzle directly to help them with their international payout to merchants. And when they share data with us to see, you know, h- how these merchants are just getting, you know, capitalizing on the checkout experience is just pretty, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. And that's what the interest is coming from for that demand for uh, the merchants on that. Because the last thing you want is to lose a sale. That's one thing a lot of people forget. A lot of people in payments like I am deep into payments think that every merchant cares about every basis point that they pay for payment acceptance. And most merchants don't really. If you come to the merchant and say, okay, I can save you X a year if you, swap, if you switch your acquiring contract from, from, you know, to, to my process or to my acquirer from yours. Most guys will say yes, because if you present them with a savings number and the savings are big, they'll say yes. But it's not something they think about if you don't come up and, and talk to them. They think about they think about not having shopping cart abandonment. They think about closing a sale. They think about revenue. So as long as you don't get crazy expensive, you can charge a fair amount for that right, uh, for that privilege or the ability to check out of the point of sale, as long as you don't get too out of line with what, you know, accepting a premium credit card costs. So, mm-hmm. so I think there's a lot of room there. And I think that's, uh, saves to provides a saving grace or a saving aspect to some, to the acquiring part of the payments business where attrition has been a big problem. Because mm-hmm. if you lock someone into sort of a flat rate, close the deal quickly model, then you have less chance for that merchant to swap, to go to somebody else in a trike because they're more interested in the ease of a consumer completing the sale than they are about saving a few basis points. Yeah, totally. Totally makes sense. Um, I, I mean, so given where we're at now, and I guess a year year in now with the, with the pandemic, um, a lot of these companies survive on interchange. And obviously you touched on a little bit, but um, what are you seeing on that side? Is, is, is the demand, I guess, or I guess is the expectation to change these revenue type of models um, to be able to survive, I guess, or, or is it kind of spread out? Because um, we're no, we don't work directly with the interchange side. We work more on the FX you know, side and um, remittance in that in that play, and we see you know spikes in that areas. But um, are, are companies interested in switching over to or programs? I guess um, to like a subscription type of model, or how are they looking at changing their revenue base? Or is there any? Uh, I don't know. Companies interchange has been a reliable source of income, and many of these of the challenger banks, their biggest yeah. source of revenue is interchange, yep. restricted debit interchange. And there are very good reasons for that. Interchange does offset certain expenses that they have on the other side, but it's also a game you play because interchange is not set by a marketplace. I, I, I may get in trouble with some of our friends from the payment networks, but it's not. <laughs> so, um, you know, you, you can't go out. I couldn't go out as a small person to negotiate interchange. So, but if I were being strategic, I would look for other uh, revenue streams other than that yeah. because it is subject to, for example, I talked to you just before our call began, I think about the, no, we talked at the beginning early in this call about how the clearinghouse has raised this question about whether a part of the Durban Amendment is being treated correctly. And one outcome of that could be that companies that are now having the benefit 
of a uncapped debit card interchange could be subject to only get a capped debit card interchange. Now, the reasons for that are very geeky, but that's a point being that because of the, the nature of interchange, it's not really under your control. Something could happen at a regulatory level or something of that nature. Suddenly, your revenue stream dries up and blows away. Wouldn't you rather have a revenue stream that you have more control over? So that would be an offer or a, or a, a provocative point I would make to anybody who is really heavily dependent on interchange revenue. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. And I think you know, what we're starting to see, as I mentioned, is, is flipping the model to do more of a moving from freemium, as we used to, I guess you can call it, to this uh, you know, premium type of account where you, you know, pay a, a, a monthly subscription, then you get access to, I guess, free rates uh, or, or very low margin rates uh, that you can get. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know what you're paying for and you're paying for what you get and you're paying for what you. What yeah. You and I think that's what, you know, once you start to do that, then you start to commoditize some of the other areas uh, of the markups. And that's. Uh, and, and those are things that are under your control. That way you can go out as a marketer, as a company and decide how to describe it, how to provide your own value proposition. And that's to my mind, a much more effective way to do things because that's a much more effective market. The consumer knows exactly what they're paying for, and 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 that that's how you make your money. Yeah, and and to be fair, like outside currency cloud, we switched our revenue model. I mean, we used to make a lot of our, which we still do, but um, we used to solely charge on FX, uh, and we noticed that a lot of our customers are using us for our technology. Um, so we switched a majority Sub- of our margin subscription are based on subscription to the technology. Oh, that's smart. That's that's a yeah. good idea. That's a good yeah, idea. Yeah, and um, predictable too. Yeah, I mean it's fixed cost. We can see our our, our our revenue models in 24 months now, rather than you know depending on the day or the month, uh, what pre-buyed volume or anything like that. So, um, you know, and and really, it's to put where our value is is the technology, and we're giving access to to the FX and payment network. Um, and so that's and, where we, and, and that's what people will pay for. I mean, that's why I think you yeah. look at a company like a Shopify, which is sort of a poster child right now, being in the right place at the right time, but they're you're paying for their technology that simplifies your life. And I think that sounds very broad, but I think you could apply it to what you guys do. People want the FX component of what they do simplified. And if you are good enough at doing that with whatever magic you have in the background, you can, you can charge for it because you're providing a service. You're providing a service in making something that had been complicated and hard to understand before simple. Yeah, totally. And you know, it really differentiates us specifically um, to to not be in that same breath anymore. We used to be with like Western Union or Money Corp, where they're really traditional FX brokers, right? They're in, in that sense of it, where we're actually becoming an engine behind another company. So I think it, it, it kind of differentiates us a bit for where we sit in that value chain as well, uh, which, which we're proud of as well on, on that side. It um, should be. I mean, I think that's a good way to go. That's a very good place to be. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, David, really good to have you on today. We'll be sure to, uh, as I mentioned, post the the, the NIPay events uh, page and, and and YouTube from your past couple events. Uh, for any uh, prospects from our side or interested in partnerships, where is the best to get a hold of you? Uh, D true, D T R U E at pagility dot com. P a y g i l i t y dot com. Uh, that's probably the best thing. Uh, you can text me. I'm happy to give them my number, 646. I don't think you have to do that. You don't have to do that. Okay, good. Well, I actually respond best to text than your emails, but you can edit that part out if you want. But yeah, D-P-O-U-E at pagility.com. It's been fun talking. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, yeah, me too. And uh, it's going to be a good, good, good one for our, for our listeners as well. Well, enjoy. Stay safe over there. We'll uh, hopefully uh, get connect in person at some point soon. <laughs> good. 
Currency Cloud is an online payments company that makes international money transfers fast and simple for businesses. We're building a borderless future where international transactions are seamless for a better user experience. Discover the world's most trusted payment platform and our toolkit of developer-friendly APIs at currencycloud.com. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.